0: Welcome to Filmstrip, and our reviews of the Alien movie franchise. There is an explanation for this. Featuring Nick. Check it out. I am the ultimate
1: badass. Yes,
0: and Jay, this is so nuts. Listen to what you're saying. Please note, these episodes will contain spoilers and in-depth discussion of the plots and characters of the films. All content used or discussed in this podcast are the property of their respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay.
1: I'm Nick. And this is our review of Alien Resurrection, starring Sigourney Weaver, Ron Perlman, Dominique Pignon, J.E. Freeman, Roman Cruz, Michael Wincott, Brad Dourif, Dan Hedaya, and Winona Ryder, written by Joss Whedon and directed by jean pierre Jeunet, Released in 1997 on a budget of $70 million, grossed $161 million worldwide, but only $47 million in the U.S. So, Nick, we finally gotten here the last installment of our Ripley part of the Alien series that we're doing here. When this one came out in 97, I was in college, and I remember seeing the trailers for it and just thinking, wow, really? They're going back to this again? Gosh, how many years has it been since that last one, you know? But I, like a big sucker, went and saw it in the theaters, and I was there. I think I didn't go on opening weekend, but I think I went maybe a week or two after it had opened, and it was me and maybe four other people in the whole (laughs) theater. It was not well attended, and an hour and 45 minutes later, I understood fairly clearly why.
2: Yeah, I I saw it opening weekend. I, I believe I was 13 when this movie came out. So I was uh, still a little bit of a youngin' and um I even remember before it came out there me and my friends were always big Alien fans and we were kinda talking, we're like, Yeah, there's an Alien Four coming out, because back in you know ninety in the nineties you didn't have the internet like we had today. You didn't have like the movie websites, you didn't really understand what the synopsis was. We just kinda like heard through like Entertainment Weekly or you know, Entertainment Tonight or whatever kind of new show was on that there was gonna be what? an Alien Four in the works, so we were always kinda guessing what was it gonna be in one of the rumors out there that Alien 4 was going to be kind of like a reboot, you know, kind of ignore Alien 3 type movie, that there's even like rumors that it w- Alien 3 was going to be a dream and that Winona Ryder was cast as Newt and they were going to go from there. But when I saw the trailer in the movie theater, I forget what movie I was seeing, it was clearly shown that it was going to be a clone of Ripley. And uh I was still excited. I went to go see it opening weekend with my dad, dragged him there, and I think I've only seen it about three times since then.
1: I can honestly say I have sat through this movie entirely now twice in my life. When I saw it in theaters and watching it for this podcast. Now, I've seen bits and pieces of this thing all on television for years. And I think I will stop and watch a few minutes here and there, but I don't the last time I sat down to dedicate or last time I sat down to dedicate time to watch this thing was a few days ago, because I just have never gone back to this one. And being my age at the time in college, and that should be noted. Ninety-seven. This is before Buffy the Vampire Slayer the TV show really became a thing, and it was also before I locked into that show and started watching it. So I I didn't even really know who Joss Whedon was at the time. It wasn't until I started watching Buffy that I learned a lot more about him. But this is. Really Before any of that happened, I mean, I didn't know who he was. All I knew was they were bringing Sigourney Weaver back, and I saw the guy that was the voice of Chucky was going to be in it. That's Brad Dourif, and I didn't know anybody else, you know, by name. I think I've seen Dan Hedaya in probably a dozen films. But I knew Winona Ryder because as a Gen Xer, man, she was your gal. You know, that was our epitome of the Gen X woman, you know, and she was smart and she did all these quirky roles and stuff and it's only now looking back that I realize really how poor her <laughs> skills are. She's really not that interesting. <laughs> and uh, but boy she still is good looking and she she was cute back then and we all loved her. I only knew Ron Perlman from being the beast on beauty and the beast for the Linda Hamilton. I do find it funny that he's, he's acted opposite of Linda Hamilton and Sigourney Weaver. So he got Ripley and Sarah Connor in his career. Of course, now I know him from uh, sons of anarchy, which may be the most violent show on television. And uh, Hellboy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, see, I never saw Hellboy. So that someday in the future, that may be one to do. Cause I've never watched that film. So I, again, this one kind of came out of nowhere and it's, I'm going to say it right off the top, man, it's a really different film from any of the other three. I think that's the neatest thing about this series. Every entry is a little different.
2: Yeah, this one almost kind of teeters over to the slapstick style. I mean, there's a lot of elements in this movie you would, I mean, if you watched Alien and then watched Alien Resurrection, you would probably be dumbfounded, like, how are these movies even related? I mean, it's such yeah. a shocking difference, and not even just the way the visuals are, it's just, The tone of the movie—it's just—and that's I think uh, Joss, Joss, am I saying right? Joss Whedon—I think that's really a lot of his influence. And one of the things I've always said about him in Alien Resurrection is—you know—we'll get into it a little bit—but I don't think he really understood the Ripley character. I mean, you can spin it that she's a clone and stuff, but even from his interviews that he had on the Alien Quadrilogy set, he just seemed like he didn't really grasp the Ripley character. I know he's known for writing strong female characters, but uh, maybe just. Maybe Ripley just was a little too soon for him, but cause even well, like in the, even in the commentary, he's like, Oh, I gave the script to Ripley and I thought Ripley, I mean, uh, not Ripley. I gave the script to Sigourney Weaver and I thought Sigourney Weaver would want to come back making the character softer and stuff. And it's like, have you not watched the other three alien movies? I don't think she'd want her character to be softer. And he's, he seemed like actually like shocked that she wanted him to take it further and make like Ripley weirder and stuff. And I just think it kind of shows that maybe he really wasn't. Didn't really know that much about the alien universe as he kind of claimed he did.
1: Well, I'll say this about him. At that point, he had not created the, now what is the the iconic Buffy character. That was all in the works. And anybody that's seen the first season of Buffy will tell you that there's just little germs of what that character becomes in that season. So even at that point, his only realization of that had been the Christy Swanson movie, which he will tell you was totally taken out of his hands and not what he was looking for. He says that a lot about films, I noticed. But anyway, yeah, yeah, he says that
2: about <laughs> Alien Resurrection, and we'll talk about that later because he's a yeah, right. he's a freaking liar. He is well, a liar. We will we will talk that.
1: about that indeed. But as I was saying, he he hadn't really developed that yet. I mean, he had worked on Roseanne. I wouldn't call Roseanne a, a a strong female character, maybe in some sense, but not in the league of Ripley and Sarah Connor and and all the you know some of the other things that we hold her up as. But I do think that's where the comedy comes from. And you mentioned slapstick. Knowing, and I only know this now, but knowing that he worked on Roseanne and was a big writer there, and that's one of the ways he got his start in Hollywood, it explains a lot of the tone and the humor here. And you're right to call it, Nick. I'll say it now. This feels much more like a television show than it does a feature film. You know, if Ridley Scott was a gothic horror in space, and James Cameron was a combat movie, and David Fincher, for better or worse, was a melodramatic drama then this feels like a thrown-together TV show.
2: I don't... I mean, I guess I can just kind of maybe bring up the slasher movie comparison. I mean, you kind of look at, like, the Friday the 13th movies, like, kind of how their moods kind of changed. And by the time you get to Jason X, what is it? It's almost exactly like this movie. I mean, it's yeah. in space, just like it. And it's got kind of, like, the horror, but not really serious horror at sometimes, and then sometimes over-the-top gore. I mean, it's just... This yeah. movie's all over the place and it, it makes a like it's probably a perfect one two punch if you want to watch with want watch it with Jason X. Oh, uh,
1: yeah, I would actually think there there are a few places where you see things that Jason X borrows from this. But I guess before we get even further into it, Nick, let's hit up a plot summary here and walk us through what is Alien Resurrection.
2: Sure. Two hundred years after Ellen Ripley's death, Doctors aboard the space station Aruga clone her using a blood sample taken from Fury 161 in hopes of harvesting the queen embryo that was inside her when she was on the remote penal planet. Finally succeeding after seven attempts, they remove the alien and repair repair the clone for further study. Soon after, the Ripley clone has gained consciousness and displays inhuman capabilities that suggest it possesses alien DNA. When Ripley discovers that General Perez is keeping the queen, She warns him and his scientists that the creature cannot be contained no matter how hard they try. Meanwhile, a crew of space pirates aboard the spaceship named the Betty arrive with cryogenically frozen bodies from another ship so that they can be used to breed more aliens. One of the Betty crew members named Call soon reveals that she was sent to assassinate Ripley. General Perez attempts to have the pirates executed which results in a tense standoff between the pirates and military men all while the aliens start causing havoc after breaking free of their containment cells. The crew of the Betty escape Perez's men, and after losing their captain to an alien attack, meet up with Ripley and decide to make their way to the Betty to escape the aliens. Ripley and the pirates soon discover the lab in which she was cloned before being forced to swim through a mess hall, which has been submerged in water during the aliens' escape. The crew soon learns that the ship has been rerouted and is now heading towards Earth. Call reveals herself an android and ripley attempts to convince her to alter the aurora's course unable to do so call sets the ship to crash into earth instead ripley is then captured by some aliens and taken to their nest where she comes face to face with the queen herself ripley discovers that the queen has been altered as well possessing a human-like womb that gives birth to a 12 foot tall newborn alien hybrid the newborn kills the alien queen and seeks comfort in ripley Ripley soon makes a break for it, hoping to catch up with the surviving Betty crew members. The newborn, upset that Ripley is abandoning it, chases after her. Ripley finally catches up to the crew right before the Betty's about to take off. After taking off, the crew learns that the newborn has snuck aboard the Betty. Ripley then faces off with the newborn, using her acid blood to burn a hole through the hull, while the newborn is then sucked right through it. The Betty then enters Earth atmosphere and Ripley and Call embrace and question what is next in their life.
1: Well, I I question what is next as well. Uh, You know, it's one thing to watch that, Nick. It's another thing to actually hear it read back. Um, Boy, it only took 18 years, 18 years to completely derail the whole thing. Now, I want to ask something right now, because you said when we reviewed Alien 3, not the assembly cut, but Alien 3, that you preferred Alien Resurrection over Alien 3, and I want you to defend that statement, because I don't know how in the world you can.
2: You know, I don't even think I can right now. I I always had bad memories of Alien 3, and after having to watch the um, director's cut or the assembly cut again, and then having to watch Resurrection right after, I have to completely reverse my stance, because... I watch this movie and I'm literally, my mouth is open the whole time, not believing what I'm seeing. I mean, it's almost a complete, I mean, the movie's about rape, so I'm going to say it. This movie rapes a lot of what is the good, the good will of this franchise that I have. I mean, anything that's good about the alien franchise, you know, the, the sexual imagery, the, just the dread that you feel in the movie is just completely taken away in this. And it's, there's so much just junk. I mean, there's a lot of junk in this movie. Uh, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs>
1: well, here's here's the thing to me, and this is what kills me, and I'll I'll make a comparison here. I'm a big Jaws fan. I love that series of films. And even the two kind of bad ones, Jaws 3 and Jaws 4, I will find ways to defend those to people that hate them. Because I can just enjoy them for being bad. But if I were to watch Jaws and then turn around and watch Jaws the Revenge, it's very much the same kind of feeling I would get watching Alien and watching this. Because they feel very similar to one another. It's just a shell of everything I loved about the first one, and the, the monster's dumber uh, now, even though in this one it acts smarter, it's, it's a dumber premise now. The main character that's shoehorned back into there is ridiculous version of herself, and they, you can make any excuse for what you want, but the parallels are there. They're, they're both bad representations of themselves, and the climax is so ridiculous that the effects don't look good, it it just takes you out of the whole experience, and it's there. There are cast members that are side pairs that should be good, Marvel Van Peebles and Winona Ryder, and they're not. I mean, there's so much about this that just doesn't work at all. And I guess the the thing to notice is we have to start with just at the start of it is the whole premise of the thing. This whole setup is that for two hundred years. They've been working on, presumably been working on some way to clone Ripley because they, for whatever reason, they have blood samples. I could actually buy that, that the doctor would have taken some, but they've got blood samples of her and enough of it that they're trying to clone her and the alien queen so that they can still have their biological weapon. Is that the whole premise as you read it here? Yeah, I
2: guess uh, that's how I read it, the um – um. General Perez, played by um, I just I remember him from uh, Night at the Roxbury. He's always going to be the Night at the Roxbury dad to me. <laughs> he
1: was he was the dad in Clueless, and I think he's the general in Commando. If you and go back that Nixon, far. Too,
2: and he uh, played Nixon too in Dick. <laughs> this is true, which actually yeah, is an is. underrated <laughs> movie by the way. I I find the movie actually pretty hilarious, but yeah, Whelan yutani has gone, and somehow they've gotten a blood sample. I don't know how that works. I'm not a geneticist. I don't know how that would work, but. How the hell can you clone an alien from a blood sample of a human? I I guess it was taken when Ripley was pregnant with the alien, but somehow I, it doesn't make any sense to me. I guess this is what I have to give the movie in the beginning, but it is it is already starting out paper thin.
1: <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about this, though, because the initial part of this, when Weed was given the contract to write it, Ripley was not going to be a part of it. And... In the process, they told him he had to work her back in. And this was what he came up with. And I'll tell you, it's better than a dream. I'm glad they didn't go dream sequence and Alien 3 didn't happen. That would have really been... I I hate that when films do that. That's the Dallas season ripoff. I hate that. That's a terrible convention. So if they're going to do something, at least applaud him for coming up with something scientific that that corporation and its successors would have
2: been involved in. I don't know. I'd rather have the dream. I just, I, I, it's so hard to give the movie this. It's get, I can get, I can get how you, you know, I get the cloning. I get how they can clone Ripley, but it's like from what we saw in alien, the aliens were not indigenous to LV 426 So they came from somewhere else. 200 years in the future, they haven't encountered an alien or maybe found out where they come from. The only resource is to get some blood from Ripley. And how would this company even know about Ripley? 200 years in the future. I mean,
1: they have files on it because Winona Ryder talks about having read those files and knows everything about her. So, yeah, that's the whole setup there is that there are detailed files. Remember, Bishop set that up, though. Everything is logged and sent back through a computer. So whoever took over weyland Utani would have inherited that. In some way, so yeah, they, I, I could get that there's some written record of her, and I accept the fact that that it's cloning is the answer because they, one, they don't give me anything else, and I, everything I can think of is worse. And I think part of the problem of, of having to swallow it why it's such a hard pill, Nick, is they do a terrible job of explaining it in this movie.
2: Well, I would have liked to, you know, if they would have said something like, "Hey, we stole the files from Walmart," because in the director's cut, that actually is brought <laughs> up that Wayland Utani was bought out by Walmart.
1: That's even better. They should have left that in. That's uh, that would have been a good. That's a good joke. Kind of that. But get it's cut? just.
2: But even like when they say that, it's just like it's kind of funny. But then you think about it, it's like you think about what Walmart is, and then it's like Whalen yutani being the big bio engineering military supplier, and it's like, yeah, you're just kind of making a joke of the whole. You know, making the first three movies into a joke almost by saying that. But
1: you make a good point, and I want to say this right there. That is something Joss Whedon often does. Is that sort of irreverent, cynical bite of of humor and pop culture? You know, you take things that you actually like and use yourself, but you're going to dig on yourself for it. That self-deprecation, you know. Everybody that makes a joke about Walmart, also shops there. You know, that's that's part of the thing, and that's, that's where I got Alien Restoration on
2: Blu-ray. By the way,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I actually bought it as a part of the set, so I'll say that I do think I got one of the. AVPs, though, from a Walmart. I I will admit that. But at any rate, the the point is, that type of humor is, I get where that comes from. I don't know that that's appropriate tone for this series, because we have been pretty serious. Even James Cameron's movie, which is not as deep as the first to the third installment, still had some at least some deep emotion to it, you know, and and some really awesome action. This film has none of the above
2: Mm -hmm. going for it.
1: And it has a premise that's hard to swallow.
2: Yeah, with Cameron's, I mean, you had the underlying plot of the mother and daughter. I mean, as much as, like, the Marines were kind of slapsticky with their comments and stuff, it still came off as realistic. I mean, if you ever know, if you know anybody, like, in the military or something like that, or really anybody, I mean, any blue-collar type guy, how Cameron's guys talked, I mean, that was pretty much how a lot of people I know talk, you know, there are you know, a lot of, a lot of F bombs and a lot of just like kind of dumb comments, but like within this new world of alien resurrection, it's just like, the the dialogue just doesn't, it doesn't fit in this universe. I mean, there's even like a line later with Ripley, you know, who do I have to F to get off this ship? And it's like,
1: Oh my God, really? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, a, that was one of many of the terrible lines. I'll tell you though, this whole beginning where they're doing this, opening cloning sequence and you're seeing her grow and you've got the little callback of the theme and you get to see the surgery and you hear the voiceover that's Newt's line about there's no real monsters really, but it's Sigourney Weaver saying it now. All of that feels like I'm trying to hit you with the greatest hits of the Alien series. Realizing that the people that are most likely to go see this film, if they've seen the original Alien, don't remember anything about it, and haven't watched it. You know, This film is not made for folks like you or folks like me that are fans of the series and have kept up with it. This feels like it was made for the last vestiges of the MTV generation where you got to do everything in four minutes or less. You know what I mean? I mean, this Mm -hmm. feels very music video and that's funny you say because Fincher is a music video director and nothing about alien three looks like a music video. This whole movie looks like one. And I don't know anything about Jean-Pierre Jeunet's work but i know he doesn't do sci-fi action films by a or horror films as a usual fare so this whole thing feels like little vignettes
2: yeah definitely i mean i've seen some of his movies i've seen city of lost children and i've seen um Amalaya or something or and they all looked you know they look very similar to alien resurrection cuz i believe they use the same cinematographer but they all had this the same type of tone that alien resurrection had where it's like it's all just kind of like jokey, so it's it was almost like a match made in heaven that with you know Josh Whedon's script being jokey and then John Pierre coming in that he's also kind of a jokey director that perfect match up if that's the type of movie that the movie should be, but this is not the movie it should be. I mean, and isn't
1: the story that at the time he's a Frenchman at the time he didn't speak any English, so he didn't direct the actors at all. He just kind of let them do whatever they wanted to do.
2: Well, that's kind of one of the things that uh, J- Josh keep on saying. Josh, Josh Whedon said was. That a lot of the dialogue was delivered in, delivered incorrectly by the actors, and that's one of the reasons, I guess, he disowns the movie, is because Jean Pierre didn't really he didn't know English, so he didn't really didn't understand how they were you know delivering the lines. Just you know they delivered the lines, and okay, that's good. Let's go on to the next take. And
1: that <laughs> that sounds eerily like the story of Troll Two, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. Ron Perlman kind of always plays the same guy <laughs> to me. I know that's maybe typecasting him too much, but I think his line, his whole persona is typified in the whole, I, I'm not a mechanic, I mostly just hurt people. That's kind of what I think of him as, you know? And everybody else in here is either just a character actor that can just play weird, like Brad Dourif and Dan Hedaya, or they're Winona Ryder and Sigourney Weaver, who are supposed to be these accomplished thespians but have been handed, you know... A, a quarter pounder with cheese, and told to make it great. And I don't think they had anything to do. Like I, I like John Sweet as much as anybody else. i will really tell you, the dialogue in this film delivered wrong or not, it's written badly. It's stupid. It doesn't make any sense half the time what these people say, and you get absolutely no motivation for why any of them do anything except when the pilot is meeting with the general and he gets paid. That's the only thing in here that that works out the way it should.
2: Yeah, and, uh, the captain is played by Wincott, who I know from, uh, maybe the first Crow movie. He was the, uh, the big bad in that movie. He's also an interview with a vampire. He was, I, I think, I liked his character. I like him as an actor. He's got really that gruff, you know, really just that gruff voice to him. It's, it's really cool sounding. And I think he's a great actor, but even like the scene where he's meeting with General Perez, it was just like a bunch of just like, Hey, these are kind of clever lines. Let's just put them all together. It really, the whole conversation really didn't make sense. You kind of got to, you get a clue of what they were talking about, what was going on, but the conversation itself was just kind of like a greatest hits of what lines they could come up for with a situation like that. You know, like, Oh, call. Yeah. She has a great ass or she's extremely screwable or, you know, comments like that. It's just like a bunch of just random stuff they were saying back and forth. And I, this movie is just all that. It's just like a bunch of random lines that are thrown out there. I mean, that you get to, throughout the whole movie. It's just, why is he saying that now? You know, Oh, I mostly just hurt people. It's like, okay, you know, are you, well, it's, just not, not, it's not a time to be funny. You know, there's an alien coming after you. I mean, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I, th- again, it's its all over the place. I think that's how you described it earlier on, is this film is, is kind of all over the place. But we, if we accept it for what it is and we kind of look back at some of this stuff, they start with the whole surgery with Ripley. And I, I'll tell you this, it was neat to see that, that that's what the surgery looks like. And when they pull out the little alien embryo thing that, you know, they cut it loose, and they put it in its test tube, and then all of a sudden, she's out of there and has all this long hair. I'm like, Sigourney Weaver's had the most different hair of anybody. Like, her hair was really long in the first one, then it was all of a sudden really short for reasons that are never explained in the second one. <laughs> and then in the third one, she totally shaves it off, and now in this one, she's back to the long hair again. And I, what did you make of them not really explaining how all of it happened you know they they slowly revealed that she's a clone but you get that little tattoo of eight and all that i mean was there any surprise as to what that was for you
2: no not at all i kind of got that off the top i mean that was even in the plot summary for entertainment weekly that she was the eighth clone the eighth clone so yeah as soon as i saw the eight i'm like yeah she's probably the number eight they've probably done this a few times but even like when they're doing the surgery on her i just see it was already wrong because they open her up and they take out the queen. And what do we know from fa- well, from the chest bursters is how vicious they are. I mean, they get out and they run away. They coping it up and the thing's just kind of like eh, making little scream noises. And they pull it out and put in a little test tube. It was like, all right, that's that seems a little bit weird. But now, of course, you know you can use the you can flip it around and be like, well, that's because it has a little bit of human DNA in it. Now it's a little bit more vulnerable, like a human would be at that age. But I don't know. It's what? just already it's starting off on a bad foot. And even before that, the opening scene with the alien font and the music, that has got to be the worst opening to any of the Alien movies. <laughs> oh,
1: by far. Oh, I'm glad you called that out because, yes, it's It's not in space. It looks cheap is what it does. It looks really cheap. It's like the inside of the egg rolling around. And that's why I go back to this looks like sci-fi television production.
2: Oh, it does. It really I, was, does. I was just about to say that. You know, you're going to turn on and find it's Sasquatch versus Mansquito, and they'd use the same type of <laughs> opening. <laughs> It'd probably even look better.
1: Well, yeah, Mega Shark versus Crocosaurus did, but you know that's another podcast for another day. But, but even the whole thing, the whole aesthetic, like even when they show the aliens and they show the queen and all this,
2: it it all looks very cheap. Even the scientist, it was like they made them look extreme just for extreme's sake. I mean, you got the woman with the buzzed off haircut who's got like the little reverse Jay Leno coloring going on with the you know the brown in the front and the rest of it's all white. And then you got Brad Dourif with probably the worst ponytail in the history of the world. Brad Brad
1: Dourif has the worst hair ever. Anyway, he just oh. the man does not have interesting hair. I'm convinced again that these actors were brought on the set and they were told, eh, go to wardrobe and find some stuff you like." Like I don't think there was a lot of lot of direction given to them, and what you see is them just doing what they know how to do. You know Brad Dourif if, if anything knows how to play eccentric and weird, and I think that's just what he does the whole film. So the fact that he looks like a wacko works for me. It's the other doctor that I don't buy. That guy looks like a high school principal. He does not look like a geneticist.
2: Yeah, he looks like... Yeah, he doesn't look like a geneticist at all. I, don't, I can't even say what he looks like, but being a doctor or anything that has to do with, you know, school, he doesn't look like... <laughs>
1: It just doesn't have any any of the his whole demeanor changes throughout the film. He looks like he, he
2: looks like a gym yeah. teacher. I mean, honestly, he looks like a gym yeah. teacher. He looks like <laughs> that real, you know, that badass gym teacher that everybody had that would make everybody, you know, do go up the ropes and you know, yeah, just not a very yeah. good guy. He doesn't not a believable scientist at all.
1: But the whole bit there is, you know, they start teaching her things again, and Brad Durf drops all this exposition. there's gaps in her memory. She's got a little autism from the genetic process, and they're setting up the whole bit that the queen isn't exactly right, but she's fairly close enough. And Ripley's not exactly Ripley anymore, but she's close enough that we can keep her. She's like a little lab rat. She's a pet. Now, and I, all I could think at that point was, like, blood samples from Fury 161. Thanks a lot, Clemens. You know, we, we needed to leave those laying around.
2: To me, it's, to me, it's just, you know, having your cake and eating it, too. It's like, yeah, we want to change her on Ripley, but we don't want to change her too much. So we're saying she's going to have some of the memories that Ripley has. So she is the same character when she needs to be, and then she's a different character when she needs to be.
1: Well, what got Sigourney Weaver back into this? Because it sounded to me like she was done with this after the second one, and they brought her back in the third one by making her a co-producer and letting her have some of the say over what she wanted. What got her into this?
2: It's all about the money.
1: (laughs) I can't be. Look, I know she got paid a lot of money for this. Sigourney Weaver is not a frivolous woman. It's not like she's out blowing it like MC Hammer.
2: I mean, but even, but, but what, what what was she doing in the late '90s? I can't even remember. I mean, she did okay. She did Ghostbusters in the '80s. And well, she had Gorillas in that, the
1: Mist, and that was that was the big Oscar term. But that was in the '80s, so
2: yeah, I don't think she was doing much at this time. I mean, she had Jennifer Love Hewitt, but that was years after this. So I don't think she was doing much at this time. So okay, well, she had done Copycat, which was if you've ever
1: seen that with uh, Harry uh, Connick Jr. as a serial killer, and not a lot else before Alien Resurrection. Uh, I would say it's only two years later, though, she did Galaxy Quest, which is one of her better roles. So she's pretty amazing in that. But since Alien 3, she had only acted in maybe four or five movies. You know, she had yeah. done a lot of theater. I mean, the, you know, that's her first love is theater. And I think she went back to doing a lot of that. And But I'm just curious what got her back into this story, because if the whole carrot they dangled in front of her is oh you get to play ripley different this time well how many different ways do you want to play the same character and when is that arc complete for you as an actor
2: i don't know why she came back i mean i guess the whole sex with an alien thing that she always wanted to do to me i'm always just gonna say hey it's money you know she had uh you know theater doesn't pay a lot you know she had she has, she had a new she had a mortgage coming up and she had to pay it so maybe,
1: maybe that's it maybe it was the dough that could be the simplest answer is almost always the the right one but I just I'm just curious as to why someone who seems to be picky about her roles you know based on her filmography would want to do this unless what's on the page is more interesting than how it's done now you've read the script I think you even have a copy of it right is it more interesting to read than what we see here
2: no. It's not. It's it's just as bad or just as good depending on how you feel view this movie. Um, like I said, I know Joss Josh Whedon likes to disown it, but ninety five percent of what he scripted is in this movie. I mean, this this is you know you you read the scripts for like Alien. How you had the uh, the O'Bannon one, you had the Giller one, and then you had Aliens. Even James Cameron went through two scripts. The first uh, Aliens script is vastly different than Aliens, the movie that we saw. I mean, that's probably about sixty percent similar in this first script compared to what we saw
1: then there's what 40 versions of alien 3 yeah and then there, so. then
2: you know maybe foxes decided hey alien 3 didn't turn out as good as we wanted we went through 40 scripts let's just take the first script and run with it here and that's basically what they did the only difference really in between the script and the movie is uh the Betty crew had one additional member kind of like a jet lee style uh, guy with a i think he had a samurai sword so but they kind of combined him and the Christie character together And the entire, the climax is like the last 10 minutes of the movie would have been different. But other than that, it's pretty much exactly the same. So I have just, you know, with Sigourney Weaver, she was big, you know, she's an adamant anti-gun person. She does not like weapons. And this movie has a lot of guns in it. I mean, they're kind of trying to go back to the whole aliens thing with with the guns and the action and the multiple aliens. Besides the money, I just can't see her wanting to come back for any other reason. I mean, the movie has guns in it. She doesn't like guns. The movie, the movie was in the script wasn't very good. And unless me and her have completely different tastes, then I don't think we do because I like a lot of her work. I do. I like, you know, Copycat was a decent movie. I like, I love Galaxy Quest. That's a great, fun movie. And I, hell, I like Ghostbusters too. I mean, that's kind of a sore subject for a lot of people, but. I like most of her work, so I just, I can't see her reading this script and going, I have to do this movie. I see her getting that number from Fox and saying, I have to do this movie for that check.
1: Well, you know, here's the thing, though, with all the guns and stuff like you talk about, there's a lot of cool guns and stuff here, but unlike Aliens, where they really go through a lot of explanation as to how all of that stuff works, there's even that whole scene where Hicks and her are arming up, everybody here just knows how to Brandish guns and has these cool guns flying in and out and the guy can make a gun out of his wheelchair and there's you know there's all that stuff and there's no explanation to it it's just the gratuitous cocking of guns and it's cool yeah. stuff and you know it's everybody's got guns they know what they're doing and i i'm in my head going 200 years in the future we've gotten to where we can clone people and aliens at the same time sure it takes eight tries but whatever we don't have one single ray gun in the whole bunch
2: no this i got a pump action shotgun <laughs>
1: Yeah, we're still dealing with shotguns and nine millimeter. I'm like, wow, we, we didn't go real far.
2: Yeah, and even even the movie sets it up when, in the beginning when the Betty Crews coming on that they're searching them because they don't want them to have guns, not because they'd be a threat to the military guys, but because General Perez didn't want one of them to get drunk and to blow a hole in the hull. Well, through the whole yeah. movie, they're just shooting guns like it's no not, no like no no one's business, and that never happens at all. So it's kind of like. Well, it happens at the end, but not by a bullet.
1: Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's all set up. I just read that as set up. I haven't seen the movie before. Watched it this time, I was like, geez, how many times are they going to mention a hole in the hole is a bad idea? We've all seen you know that at this point. We know how that works. And if you know the ending of this that that's exactly how it's going to end so it's you just know they're just setting that up again it feels like the way a television show would work to set up the MacGuffin.
2: to me the, the whole thing about the halt uh, them not having allowed to have guns on the military thing was just so they could set up you know oh he's got a gun in the um the coffee can and oh Christie is you know a taxi driver guy and um you know, the other guy, you know, always got weapons all around him and everything. So you get kind of like the, the scene of him slowly putting it together as the aliens come in there. Because, of course, you know, the aliens are going to slowly stalk people like they do later in this movie. But then again, <laughs> you can always... <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to say it right now, we're going to complain about a lot of stuff that the aliens do. And I'm already saying it. No spin. No more spin on it. The aliens are aliens. I don't care how much human DNA you want to say is in them. It's It doesn't work for me. So
1: Yeah, these aliens are very weird. But the, what about... Uh, I, I will say this. I won't give this idea credit for one thing. And this is what I thought was kind of rough and not explored enough for me. The fact that the crew of the Betty have basically stolen people while in cryosleep and are selling them over to the military so they can basically be alien fodder. You know, so they can impregnate them and use them. They don't know that that's what's going to happen to them, but they don't care either. And I would have liked a little bit more of that. Like, I think that's... That gives them a dark edge and kind of a menace. The problem is everything else about them makes you want to like them and laugh at them. So the fact that they are cold and calculating enough to do something like that doesn't present the right choice for me as an audience member. Like, I should have been forced to choose between the ruthless, greedy government corporation, whatever you want to call them, military here, and these reckless pirates who also have no regard for human life. Instead, they're the jokey, fun ones, and are I want them to kill all the military people, even though they're selling people off into human slavery, basically.
2: Yeah, the, the military guys really, I don't think really many of, them, many of them have any idea what's going on. They're just military guys. They're following orders, and yet the space crew is kidnapping people to give to this place to have aliens go inside of them, burst out of them, giving them a pretty nasty death, and yet we're supposed to not like the military guys, and we're supposed to like the pirates. And, you know, maybe just doing a little bit of rewrite, wouldn't it have been better maybe if the Betty crew was actually the ones that were going to be impregnated, maybe later, like there was already a crew that had impregnated, so there are aliens on there and they're the second crew that was going to get have it happen to, and then somehow they get out of it? I mean, it would give them a little bit more sympathy from the audience, and it's just something that I just, the whole movie I'm thinking, I'm like, I don't like these guys. I mean, yeah, they got kind of like these little one-liners and stuff, and their weapons are kind of neat in a way, but... They're all despicable. None of them are. It's the same problem I had with Alien 3 where I was like, I have really no one here to root for. And then Ripley, I'm really not rooting for her because that's not Ripley. I mean, the whole time I'm looking at her, it's like, yeah, it looks like her, but it's a really greasy version of Ripley. (laughs) Well, it doesn't talk
1: like her. That's the thing. You know, doesn't sound like Ripley, different inflection. We get to see Sigourney Weaver playing basketball or playing with the basketball, and that's when the, the whole crew comes around her, and she basically beats the crap out of all of them and hits a three without looking, kind of like Kobe Bryant. And, I mean, that's all she does. But she's not Ripley. Like I, She doesn't come off at all like Ripley. And I know it's supposed to be a Ripley clone. She's not really Ripley. But that's still Ripley. And I have I have no reason to care about her at all. She never gives me any reason to care about her because it's I think it's supposed to be Nick that she's conflicted and we're supposed to wonder is she going to be on the side of the aliens or is she going to be the side of the humans? Which one is more dominant? But I don't get that at all. It's not played that way. It doesn't it doesn't come off even at all like that. It just comes off like Sigourney Weaver playing Ripley as a I don't know a stoner. I mean, she just acts like she's wasted the whole
2: time. Yeah, she's weird. It just comes off as, I don't care. You know, it's like, is she going to team up with the aliens? Is she going to team up with the p- Betty crew? Who's she going to team up with? And it's like, the whole time I'm just thinking, I don't I don't really care. You know, I don't yeah, took- I, I don't care who she does. with Everybody in this movie scummy. It's like everybody is. You know, I kind of, the aliens are the only ones I probably sympathize with. It's like, oh, man, it's... It's just, it's, it's it's a bad first 25 minutes. <laughs> I wish I could say it got better.
1: About the aliens, uh, up, up until we really get into them, and it takes a bit before we get into them, you're right. They have now been reduced to, I'll make another Jaws comparison, to the role of the shark in Jaws 3 and Jaws the Revenge again. They're just the thing that you, that you turn loose on stuff. They're the anaconda or the python or mega shark or whatever you want to put in there. They don't have any character anymore. In Alien and Aliens, and even Alien 3, there was character to the monster. They, you know, Alien 3 was the one where it really gave you a lot of different in the dynamic, right? And even though we both said in the, the theatrical cut of Alien 3 that it feels more like a slasher movie and there are a lot of slasher kills in that, there's still a lot of character to the alien. Here, they are nothing but the slasher drones. There's nothing about them that makes them more interesting because what they give them to do they like communicate by squeaking at each other and they look through glass and they just don't act like aliens that we know and
2: yeah, now they have hot breath i don't even understand <laughs> yeah. how that works. These, these things can survive in space yet they have hot breath that doesn't make any sense at all well,
1: why do they breathe at all i've never got the sense that they breathe yeah they,
2: they're they're breathing like a like a pissed off bull i mean the way it's kind of like coming out like they're like they're snarling and they, do, they 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 don't look right either. I mean, people can, you know can say like, well, none of the aliens ever really looked like you know the aliens. They all had you know ridges on their head. Where the first alien had a dome, and you could kind of see a skull through it. But these ones are just I don't like I said like I said earlier. I mean, they're triple jointed in their legs, which makes absolutely no sense at all because they've always were bipeds. They always had you know the knee joint and then the ankle. But now it has you know, a knee two knee joints and an ankle. It they don't look right and they don't act right and I mean, I, I, I like the scene where they use one of the aliens to get out of the holding by killing it with the acid blood, kind of showing their intelligence and everything and the, the hive mentality. But then right after that, what do they do? Then, they, then the alien actually uses the freezer thing on uh, one of the characters, not with its hand, but with its second mouth. It's like, oh, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, the whole, the whole bit is, again, they're smarter, but it makes them dumber. You know, the shark in Jaws, the revenge, I keep going back to this, but it just makes sense. The shark in Jaws, the revenge, follows people from New England to the Bahamas and beats them there. You know, so it's smarter as an animal, but it's also dumber as a thing. And the smarter they make these aliens, the dumber they come off. Not only does he trap the guy in there and want to use the smoke thing because it learns that it's a Pavlov's dog now, but it's got hands that work. And it, it chooses to do that that mouth. Why? Because that's the iconic thing. We've seen that again. We're just hitting all the beats here, Nick. This is just we're just throwing everything in the car wash here, and that's what this feels like. It feels like noodle caboodle on the screen. It's just whatever they they felt like they could come up with. It's what they did, and that whole bit with Brad Dourif like grinning at the glass and it looks like he's making out with the alien that was weird by the way i i just i attributed all that to Duraf. but i wanted the thing to like bust through the glass and kill it you know it takes it a little bit before it does and i'm like that's ah, just weird That it all just feels off the aliens here are very different and you know what they look like to me you talk about their triple joining this the way they chirp at each other and move they work around like grasshoppers now and where did
2: that come from? I think you know what I think they kind of remind me of Velociraptors now.
1: Ah, well, you know what we haven't talked about that, but Jurassic Park had been around. Ah, oh, now that you say that, yeah.
2: I mean, even like in Jurassic Park, when it was looking, you know, looking through for Lex and Tim in the cafeteria, puts his nose up there in a big shh. Got the aliens in the cage, doing it with their yeah. you know mouths. You know, I guess where the steam's coming out of and. You know, triple-jointed, just like the Raptors are triple-jointed.
1: Very, very good point. I had not thought about that, but you're right. Is that what they're chasing here now? That's the wrong way to go. Well, but think about this, though. You've also got cloning going on here. That was a big part of Jurassic Park, Right. Uh, I'm starting to see what got plagiarized. <laughs> so, so. But uh, it, un- unfortunately, if you've read the Michael Crichton book, there's this whole thesis at the beginning of it explaining you how all of it works. I guess we didn't sum that up in like a paragraph, but you know whatever. So it's a Cliffs Notes. I think that's the words I've been looking for. This feels like Cliffs Notes of Aliens. <laughs> you know, We're just going to throw this together because this movie is trying to be James Cameron Aliens. The whole
2: time, don't you feel that? Oh, de- de- definitely, definitely. They're trying to make this more of an action orientated film, and it, I don't know. And even like the like when Call and Ripley meet up, I mean, they're trying to kind of bring back like a relationship like Ripley had with Newt. I mean, not as you know mother and daughter, but you know, just kind of like a mentor to a you know to a s like a squire type relationship, and it just doesn't work. And even you know before the aliens break out, you got Call and she goes into Ripley's cell. Somehow finds – somehow has, like, this little breath thing that she has that she got from Perez. I don't know how she got that. She got his saliva, I guess. And uh, how did she even know Ripley was on the ship? I mean – and even alive. I mean, everybody – Well, she had, per- she had met her at that point. They met her in the basketball. Did they? Uh, yeah, but it, yeah. But it seemed like but her mission was to go there and to kill her because she knew that the alien was inside of her. I don't know. It's just a lot of stuff is a lot a lot of stuff that's not explained in the movie. She, she well she
1: explains it. It's just the explanation is ridiculous. See she explains that she before the whole bit about call is that she's an android. We don't learn that until after the one doctor shoots her and she doesn't die. So she, she's telling all this about herself, she was from a line of androids that were like the latest bishop, but they were there to like serve humans every need. So they're the robots and iRobot, uh, If you if you go with that sense of things. And she and all the other ones, they rebelled. And before she could be destroyed, she broke away and she read all the files of weyland Utani, and she just had them all in her head. And she found out that they were doing these experiments. And so she got herself hooked up with this crew by reasons that we'll never have explained so that she could go out there and kill Ripley and stop the alien infestation. Now, she says all of that in a blur of about 45 seconds of exposition, just like I had. Yeah, see, I missed, all, I missed goes... all
2: that the three times I watched this movie. <laughs> it's just...
1: Yeah, and I, the only reason I know it is because I was purposely listening for the reason she was there. Because there, that's what I was going to ask you next is, wh- what do you make of Call and Winona Ryder's performance and all of that stuff? Because the fact that she was an android was not a surprise to me the first time I saw it. It's never a surprise to me, but it's supposed to be a big reveal.
2: I didn't know she was an android at first, but now watching it, it's like, yeah, she has a real wooden performance. She's not very good. And I don't know. I don't. I say that about all Winona's writers' performance. So maybe she's an android in every movie she's in. But yeah, it it didn't. It, I could totally see it coming now after seeing, after knowing she's an android, just all her actions and everything. And it, you don't you need it in an alien movie. I mean, there's always got to be a surprise. There's an android, you know. You, like Ash in the first one, he's an android. Bishop in the second one. Oh, Ripley finds out he's an android right away. And then, you know, at the end of Alien 3, is Bishop 2 an android or not? And then, now we need another android. I mean, it's just one of those alien clichés that every movie has to have. You gotta have an android and you gotta have a stowaway at the end of the movie. And this movie has both of the clichés.
1: I will say this about Ryder. There's about half of the time here I feel like she really gets what she's supposed to be doing. And the other half, I don't think she knows what this is all about and has any understanding of what her motivation is again because she's not being given that direction, and it's probably not a part of the script either and she's left out there to just sort of watch sigourney weaver chew up the scenery being a wacko and everybody else being caricatures and so she's trying to play well what would i mean you know what she plays is she plays herself the disaffected gen x girl i mean she just plays that and it's the wrong choice because it it comes off like you say very flat
2: and very wooden. Well, there, everything else about her character though is weird. It's like even when uh, Johnner and uh, Christy are having like a drink and she's like trying to pick up the glass with a boxing glove. It was not yeah, that like, made no sense. What, yeah, what, what, what is that? What is she doing? Is this supposed? To, is that supposed to be funny? I mean, again, it just comes back to so much of this movie. It, it thinks it's a lot more funny than what it is. It's like that stupid drunk friend that everybody has who automat- has, has four shots and automatically thinks he's a comedian and everybody's like, you're not funny, man. You're just embarrassing yourself.
1: <laughs> it's the stuff that's never explained. Can't even be explained by cutscenes. What some of this stuff is.
2: And are we supposed to get that the alien is some kind of unfunny, sarcastic, self-aware creature or something that maybe it passed on that trait to Ripley?
1: Yeah. That where does this come from? That's the thing. Is if you want to tell me she's got super strength and blood that's partially acidic and all of that kind of stuff because she's been mixed with an alien. I will buy that. As much as I think it's ridiculous, I'll go with that. But where is her attitude coming from?
2: If they wanted to do Ripley, Ripley right in this. They should have just made her more primal, more of like a survivor, like the alien, and just by herself. I mean, you could have the, almost like the, you almost do the movie in two parts. You got the Betty crew, and then you could have like Ripley out there and kind of like wondering, you know, maybe like half. Instead of having her join with the you know, Betty crew right away, they could add it like just Ripley by herself and is she going to join them or is she going to help out the aliens and what's going on make it a little bit more of a mystery of what Ripley's real intentions are instead of right away being like yeah. who do I have to F to get off this boat and it's oh.
1: Yeah cuz i mean she comes out of nowhere basically to after their captain has been killed and that's supposed to be the moment where okay they have no
2: leader and she kill and she kills the alien doing it and it's it takes away that mystery right away of you know yeah. who is she going to side with you know she is part alien but she had no problem killing the alien and helping out this crew that she had no idea about and this crew that all suddenly you know when this is happening forgets they have guns you know the aliens ready to attack them and they're all like we're gonna die oh man (laughs) this movie sucks (laughs) (sighs) well here's we got we got to walk through a little bit
1: more of it before we totally give up on it well let's talk about the chase that goes down here nick because there's a lot of stuff that happens but none of it's really important when they all finally go on the run Right, from the aliens that have broken out and are attacking and they're joined by another guy who's impregnated Which and no basically sense. just waiting to pop. Yeah. How did that how does is he in with a queen too? Is that why it takes like never explained. But it's no it's there for a reason, so they can do the death scene with him in a little bit. But they're running and I have always wondered, and it's never explained to me, how do they wind up in the Poseidon adventure on a spacecraft?
2: They just don't explain that at all. It's yeah, and then what's even worse is after when Rip when a Call gets shot, she somehow appears behind the door. <laughs> so it's like, hey, they didn't <laughs> even have to go through all that. There was a way that Call knew. And
1: <laughs> yeah, they, they're swimming underwater, and I want to tell you that that is one of the it's one of the things I remembered about this. But watching the aliens snake through the water. It's like something out of uh, a, you know the old, the cheap Anaconda movie that Jennifer Lopez was in. Or you know one of the, again, sci-fi network level production. Looks terrible and comes off weird. And another thing happens here, too, that I ne- they never even talk about. They're swimming through and they basically wind up at a nest of eggs that's been set up as a trap for them. And one of the facehuggers jumps on Ripley. And I think she bites off its tube or whatever that it shoves down people's throat and then rips it in half as she's tearing it off of her face how the heck does that happen and
2: no damage at all and where did those eggs come from the queen's not in there the queen, this wasn't the queen's area yeah the queen was pretty much confined to a space but now there's eggs in this other area and then the uh even the aliens swimming in the water it's you know you brought the CGI it's like when they grin and you see their teeth I mean Man, does that look bad? Well, you know, I I hated it in the
1: last one when the one snarled at Galick and all those guys after he killed somebody. Then I really hated it here.
2: But at least the, you know that was practical. At least the alien looked, you know, pretty. I mean, the man in suit puppet from Alien Three didn't look that bad. I mean, the the the, the face and the motions that it can make with its lips and stuff was, you know, pretty impressive. But here it's oh, this is CGI is just terrible. Well, even the way it moves, though, when it is
1: practical suit, and it's the same guy. Tom Woodruff Jr. has been the guy he's in all of these. From here on out, he plays the alien. And it, his whole movements are different this time. Maybe it's that you know double-jointed leg or triple-jointed leg. Maybe it's just what they've given him to do, but it just acts different. Again, it acts more like an, a praying mantis than it does, or a velociraptor, like you said. From Jurassic Park, than it did its own thing, and I don't understand that. Why this character is iconic enough by itself, it doesn't need to change its mo every time. I mean, eventually Jason figured out it's machetes and hockey masks and half naked girls,
2: right? I don't even know what the alien. I mean, later in the movie we find out about the the aliens' womb. So what are these aliens even doing? It's like it doesn't even need uh, people for its ne- the nest.
1: Yeah, that that comes out of nowhere, and that's the whole bit. Is they get separated, and basically Ripley falls into that nest of, it looks like an alien H.R. Giger orgy going on. It's very strange looking. And she winds up down below and Brad Dourif and a bunch of other people are pinned up on the wall and he's still talking, amazingly. And he says, this is your greatest gift to her, Ripley. She doesn't need an egg sac. She's got a womb. And you see the the queen alien is kind of grown into the floor and it's got this big hulking sack that looks like it's about to explode that's supposed to be its womb
2: i guess this is supposed to be some type of thing that ripley gave to the aliens i guess ripley doesn't have a womb and the queen does but does does ripley Ripley have sex with the alien is that what we're supposed to get from this well see i've heard more than one person say that and i don't see it it wasn't dragging her back to the thing it looks like they were kind of spooning each other
1: <laughs> yeah it's very weird what goes I guess that's what that's supposed to be because isn't know what she's always wanted and they finally go for it but it doesn't come off that way but the whole the whole bit is so that this hideous reject from an Iron Maiden concert can erupt from the alien womb and then smash the queen kill Brad Dourif and try to make out with Sigourney Weaver right I mean, that is that what you see? Because every time I've seen this, that's the only way I can watch this disgusting thing happen.
2: Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just a bad scene. The newborn is just, oh, my, I don't know who designed that, but it's 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 a terrible design, and I think most of it comes from the fact that it has eyes. And what is oh, with yeah. the nose?
1: Yeah, it looks like a, a deranged dog I don't even know what it is. Pumpkin head, but not even as cool as pumpkin head? I don't know. It's... It's just a bad mix of stuff, and
2: it. Whedon's script, his one, his idea for the newborn was that to, to be like a crab-like creature. It was gonna be like half crab, half alien. That's how an alien with a human womb can make a crab alien is I don't know, but that was his idea. Now. I don't know which one's worse. I think they're both just terrible ideas. But what we get on screen is just, oh, man, it's terrible.
1: Well, you know what it is. It's cheap. That's what it is, Nick. They may have spent $70 million on this movie. They didn't spend it on that. That thing looked horrible. And it moves even stiffer than Winona Rodgers.
2: And then they even had this, They had the CGI all, part of it because when it was designed... They designed it to have both male and female genitals. It had the—I've seen that. It's very weird. Yeah, the male genitals coming out of the female genitals, and I guess during the test screenings and people were that's all they talked about. Was like that is just gross and disgusting, and even on <laughs> the director was just like, "Yeah, I'm a Frenchman," and that was too much for me.
1: <laughs> so, but but yeah, but here we are, and we have to have the thing where. The newborn's killing the queen, and then of course Ripley and Call and everybody else start racing back to the Betty, and they have to close the hatch. And you know immediately, okay, this is where the fourth act has to come, right? Because you know it's not over, and you called it that earlier. We got to have a stowaway, and of course it's the newborn that comes out of nowhere and kills one of the soldiers that had taken up with the Betty
2: crew, right? You knew it was coming, and of course Call goes back to look for it, and she's hiding in something while it's trying to reach at her, and. Of course ripley comes to save the day and she just starts like caressing it like a child i mean i guess it again it goes back to the my point is she had to have sex with the alien because she's treating it like it's her kid i mean if she it's got to be more than just a genetic level that they share some of the genetics because she would have shared the genetics with the other aliens which she had no problem in killing but yeah this one
1: yeah, the queen would have been something she shared Yeah, with.
2: so I don't know. So, to me, she had to have sex somehow with the alien. I guess she had sex with one of the warrior aliens, which had sex then with the queen. And it was a big alien orgy, and somehow she's the father, I guess.
1: The mother and the yeah. father? The grandmother and the yeah, father? Yeah, it's,
2: it's, 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 it's a country-style uh. thing, but... Uh.
1: This is oh, don't, I'm from the south. Don't even say that. So, I mean, it's, but I mean, this is this is horrible. I mean, this is way beyond deliverance at this point. That's what they're going for because I I only get that because I've heard people say it and I've read that in places. It doesn't come that way on the screen. It just comes up like a cheap puppet that she's having to fight. Can I tell you? You're always doing rewrites. I'll do one here for you. I would have been cool if the alien queen had developed some sort of mutation where she was just a little different now. And this whole scene at the end is her and the queen caressing and all that. I mean, that would have still been weird and strange, but at least that would have been a character I I had seen before. But I guess they always have to come up with something new, right? Or they feel like they do. And
2: or why don't they? Why don't they just do it where Ripley kind of starts evolving into an alien throughout the yeah. movie? That maybe her genetics are changing and her biology kind of changing. And like you know, she's kind of trying to hide it from the Betty crew that you know she's you know fighting this inside of her where she doesn't know if she's human or alien. And the longer it goes on, the alien instincts are taken over. And maybe she gets captured by the alien and somehow she's rebirthed as a is an alien type creature or something. I mean, they could have had that where she came out through the womb. I mean, if we're just going to go off the well, ball, nuts now, I mean, this wouldn't be, this, this wouldn't be too much crazier than what we got there. And then maybe she's going after the Betty crew to try to get the earth or try to destroy them or something and, you know, change it around a little bit, but it's just, it's just the whole thing with the newborn is just bizarre. And then even like Ripley, like she's like petting it like a dog. But she's almost, also flat pl- like, plotting
1: against it because she cuts her hand and throws the acid blood on the window knowing that she's opening up the hull.
2: yeah and you can't tell me that when this happened they didn't have the it's supposed to look like an abortion i mean i don't care what anybody says the way it's getting ripped sucked out like a vacuum i mean it's supposed to be that she's aborting this thing and it's 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 pretty it's pretty gross death i mean but then she starts feeling sorry for like she's almost crying at what she's doing and it's like lady you just did it you knew what you were doing i mean you threw it on the window knowing that it was going to breach the hull and suck this thing out i mean what did you expect and it's I say it's just the Ripley character just being all over the place in this movie. And we, we didn't mean we got kind of a scene earlier in the movie with, um, we kind of glanced over it where she ran into her seven other clones and she euthanized them. And, you know, then again, you know, we're getting it where she's no all upset and stuff and ready to kill them, but she's doing it because, you know, she has to. And it's, it's kind of the same, it's it's the same thing over again here, and it's it's almost kind of redundant in a way. I mean, you had her, you know, bawling or, you know, tearing up and feeling bad that she had to, you know, kill killed herself almost, and now she's tearing up and doing it again. I mean, I don't know, both scenes just kind of seem like they kind of hammered the same point, which wasn't even good.
1: Well, if all that is what they're going for, if they're going for euthanasia and abortion and all those kind of statements, it's done so ham-handedly and sloppily that I have no emotional investment in that at all.
2: That's the whole thing. It's like they're wanting their cake and to eat it to this whole for, whole movie. I mean, they want it to be the old Ripley, but then they want it to be a new Ripley. They want it to be funny and you know not so serious and you know being self-deprecating humor. But then they want to have like some type of serious moment where you know Ripley has to destroy herself or Ripley has to destroy her own child at the end, the child she so desperately wanted. It's like you can't have it both ways. And this movie so much wants it to have it both ways. And it just, instead of having it both ways, it destroys it both ways. It, both ways are terrible. Well, it has
1: it both ways and neither work. That's the thing. That's what I was going to say. This whole clone sequence, I mean, some of those are pretty gruesome looking. you know And I would have liked to spend more time with that. And she has to kill them all it you know it's the thing to do it's the it's the right thing to do but you can see why she's conflicted about it i could even get why she might be conflicted about killing the newborn alien thing but the way it plays off again is so cheesy and it's it's also just so gross and gruesome that i can't invest in it because i haven't had time to latch on i don't know this character i don't know this ripley and i'm not given enough here to like her because there's too many other people on the screen for me to get to know and watch. It would have been much better if this was all her versus the military versus the aliens, ultimately. Throwing in the Betty crew for more than just fodder, because a lot of them make it out of this thing, gives you too many pieces to deal with. And that's that's sort of my ultimate criticism of this, is that there's so many different things to focus on, you can't focus on any of it. And the film doesn't give enough... Of a focal point either, so it's it's a really unsatisfying and Even though I want that newborn dead because it's awful to look at, and it's ridiculous. I I have no. I when it gets sucked out of the hole, I'm like, eh. I bet that hurt. Eh, that's awful. How are they going to survive going through the atmosphere?
2: They're trying know? to make it really gruesome, and they're trying to almost make it make you feel sorry for the thing because it's a baby. It doesn't, you know, it's trying to find its mother and stuff, and it, it's just you know overly aggressive or you know whatever they're trying to say about it, but they're having to get sucked out the hall. And then all of a it's like, Oh, here's the skull. The skull's left over. And then the skull gets sucked out. It's almost like a Bugs Bunny cartoon at that point. Yeah. It's just like, what? I mean, again, it just, it, it goes back to what I was saying that it, it wants it both ways and every way fails. It's,
1: the last thing we got to talk about is the coda here. They make it to Earth, somehow making it through the atmosphere with a
2: hole in their ship. Blowing up a continent, too. I mean, when they, when they show that ship explode, it's like that thing took out a lot of stuff down there. I so.
1: know. I'm like, so is that the eradication of all... How many aliens were on that ship? Do we know? I mean, is that...
2: They said there was like 15 or 16 aliens on it, so they destroy, they kill how many people to destroy, 15 or 16 aliens. Ends on this,
1: this strange
2: note, this whole bit about... Finally, after all these hundreds
1: of years, Ripley steps back on the Earth, going back to Earth, and she finally gets the daughter she wants, and it's a moody android with a bullet hole in it, and she's a clone, the eighth generation of herself, and she she lands on this. Oh, you took about the flattest line in the whole film. I'm a stranger here myself. You know that would have been cool if her and Newt had walked off the ship at the end of Aliens and said that right because it had been 58 years or whatever at that point here it's like yeah that's what you're supposed to say isn't it it just feels so cheeseball to me
2: yeah i'm gonna go back to what i said about alien 3 it would have been much better if she have woke up from hypersleep right now and been like <laughs> oh, my god that was two, one screwed up dream man.
1: There's two in a row i mean no more uh uh, Romulan Ale before I lay down for sleep well, <laughs>
2: well, Ripley could wake up from that one. Newt could wake up from Alien 3 and then Hicks could wake up going, I, I just dreamt that I was a a, 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 Navy, a Navy SEAL in an underwater base with Ed Harris. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Twice in his career. So. <laughs> well, Nick, I think we're at the point of the podcast where we give our final recommendations, thoughts, and popcorn rating for the film. So what are yours for Alien Resurrection?
2: Uh, well, I'm going to have to say that this is probably one of the worst movies I have ever seen. And, you know, I've seen a lot of crap movies. I mean, I like a lot of crap movies. You know, I like schlocky movies. I like bad slasher movies, but this movie is, it's not trying to be bad. It's trying to be a good movie and it fails on every regard. It is a terrible entry into the series and it's more in line with some of the future alien movies that are coming out. And, In the end, I have to give this movie a small popcorn, if only to not give it no popcorn at all. It's, it's a bad movie. And if you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor and don't see it don't waste your time it's a terrible movie
1: <laughs> yeah watch the uh, alien 3 assembly cut again cuz this this in no form at all is satisfying or good and i know people will say oh you just got to go with it and just let it be a bad fun movie and it's not even fun on that level and a lot of people will try to tell me you know if you don't like this there's no way you can accept the alien versus predator films at all and i'm going to argue differently on that point next week when we get to that series because i think this does so many things that are not only a betrayal of maybe what we've known before. It's not even that. It's just a cheapening and a lessening of it. It's like trying to tell me that a band like uh, a, a band like Thirty Seconds to Mars, who happen to like, is on the same playing field as a band like U two. Well, they have a lot of the same sound and they do a lot of the same social messages, but there's something lost in the translation along the way. There's just no way that this compares to its previous entries. I mean is this,
2: is this new Metallica?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, good call. Yeah, this isn't even close. This, this is definitely reload, if we want to go back into uh that kind of comparison. I mean this film is flat on almost every level. And I mean I'm a Joss Whedon apologist in a lot of ways. I've made a lot of exceptions for some of his ideas on Buffy. You could listen to that over at the Art of Slaying. And there's a lot of them I've called him on it too and I can tell you Things that I've had a problem with in Buffy, I see the genesis of here. And I'll tell you now, a lot of people will say that Firefly, if you watch this and watch the crew of the Betty, you see the the germs, the DNA of Firefly. Well, I never watched Firefly. Because when I saw the previews for it, all I could think about was Alien Resurrection. And I wanted nothing to do with that. And I want nothing to do with this either. I had just cracked open this disc to watch it for this podcast. And as far as I'm concerned, it'll never get opened again. Because I don't plan to watch this and I don't recommend anyone else do it either. This is burnt small popcorn all the way. One of the the most dissatisfying films I've ever reviewed here as a part of Filmstrip. It's not the worst looking thing we've ever done. I mean, it looks good but it's just done so cheap and or so shoddily that I I just cannot about it at all and I don't like it and don't recommend you bother with it either folks
2: it's kind of it's kind of like going to a restaurant and like you know with a restaurant where they got pictures on the menu and you're like you know that looks like a really good burger it looks really good and then when you start eating it it's like it doesn't look like that anymore and it doesn't taste very good anymore I, man I was misled but I got I got to ask you though I mean now you I mean we know obviously know the AVP movies are coming next but after, If this movie was the last Alien movie, I mean, could you blame them?
1: Oh, no, not at all. There was nowhere to go. At, they shouldn't have even done this. There was nowhere to go with this Ripley story at all. And there was nowhere to go with this if this is how they were going to use the alien creature. The thing that they've been avoiding and they will continue to avoid until Ridley Scott does it this year, Nick, is going to what we all want to know. And that's where do these things come from? They just seem to not want to answer that question. And the budgets have escalated every time. So they can't keep using the excuse that it costs too much money.
2: The thing, though, is, too, with the alien is the alien, it's not like Freddy. It's not like Jason, where you have to have him in basically in the same form every movie. There's a lot of wiggle room with this creature. I mean, it doesn't have to look like the H.R. Geiger alien from the first one. And we've seen that through these last three sequels, is that they do change it. They do change the mythos up. So my my question to Fox is why couldn't you just take that and then go somewhere else with it? I mean, even with the slasher movies, they never keep the same, you know, the hero is always different in every movie. And Ripley, for all intents and purposes, should have just been written off after the third one. I mean, what a better way to go than to, you know, basically kill the thing and to end it all and to leave it there with her character and then take it somewhere else. I mean, it's it's such a perfect series that they could have went in so many different directions, but they keep on going back to Ripley and, and it just, it doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, you kill the character off, go in a different direction or just end it. And it's just, it was a bad mistake to do this movie the way they did it. And I really wish that alien four would have been something completely different where they would have just, you know, went to the alien home world. I mean, this is the late nineties. I mean, they could have done something like that with a feasible budget and, they just, again, want to repackage the Ripley character, and I guess they kind of agreed now after Alien 4 is that, yeah, we're going to take it in a different direction, but Predator, I mean, do you like... <laughs> I mean, I like peanut butter with my chocolate. I mean, I like the Predator, <laughs> but Predator with the alien, I mean, okay, video games, that's one thing, comic books, that's another, but films? Well, that's a good thing to... to- to think about because that's exactly
1: the next entry here for us is alien versus predator it's the next piece of this puzzle and it was something that was in the works for a long time and we'll get into when we talk about that film next time but i gotta say just on the outset and i'll only tease it for this the premise of alien versus predator is way more interesting to me than the premise of this and here's the other thing this film does that really just ticks me off but it also is uh, an epitome of how Fox has worked this series now at this point they ripped out the big emotional scene in Aliens about Ripley's daughter for time shouldn't have done that that should have been back in there we both said that they took away the whole spiritual undercurrent of the third film and made that film really uneven so even if you just barely go on that journey with her this film totally undermines the lesson learned at the end of that film about self-sacrifice in the end, this one, Ripley says, no, I'll just sacrifice everybody else, including Offspring, so I can survive, even though I'm not me. So th- that's what this thing does. It just cheapens everything. It's just so, it's such a cheap facsimile of where we've been that the only place they can go is this WWF-style team-up, I think. And that's what we're going to get next time when we talk about Alien versus Predator.
2: Yep, you've got to go where the... Uh the characters die i mean frankenstein versus the wolfman godzilla versus king kong alien versus predator
1: <laughs> <laughs> well we'll save our thoughts our larger thoughts for that one next week But, folks we really appreciate you joining us in this latest episode of film strip here you can find more episodes on our website playpodcast.com, click on the button for movies and you can leave us a note in our guest book catch up with us on facebook and twitter as well and let us know what you think uh, you also find a link to our sister podcast, The Art of Slang, where we review every episode of the the Vampire Slayer show as well. So until next time, for Nick, I'm Jay. Thanks for tuning in to Filmstrip.
0: Thanks for listening to Filmstrip and our reviews of the Alien Movie franchise.
1: I still don't understand what you're dealing with today.
0: Visit our website, continuousplaypodcast.com, for more reviews and episodes.
1: I say we take off. Loot the site for more,
0: but it's the only way to be sure. All content used or discussed in this podcast are the property of their respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.
1: This is Ripley, last survivor of the Nestor.
0: signing off.